Sessie makes crosses. Wooden, painted white, about two feet high. Many of them wobble when they stand. A gust of wind can knock them down. She pays for the wood herself, of course. She buys long, unfinished pieces because it's cheaper. Then her teenage son, Michael, the one who was mowing lawns to help with the family finances, cuts them in the front yard. The result is a pile of uneven and jagged pieces. On a hot afternoon, five women sit around a table in Sessie's front yard. They pull the uneven pieces of wood from the pile Sessie's son has made and paint them white. And it's hot outside, so then we could start painting and then hammering them together. After the wood is painted, they lay the pieces out on a sheet of plastic stretched across Sessie's lawn to dry in the sun. The women are from a support group called Families Seeking Justice. Sessie founded it to bring together family members who have lost loved ones to Chicago violence. Um, how, long have you, how long have you known uh, Sessie? Since October. Why are we here? I lost my son as well. Sessie has cultivated a tight-knit family of grieving mothers. From what I've observed, they make up the majority of her social circle. The moms meet regularly at the support group meetings and then ad hoc and all the time around Sessie's kitchen table. One of the moms here helping today is Patricia Dietz. Patricia joined the group the year before, after her 13-year-old son, Eric Crawford, was murdered. He was loving, he loved riding his bike, he loved playing his video games, you know, just 13 years old. He was 13? 13, yeah. What happened? Well, he left the house around 7.55 to go ride his bike. He only made it two blocks when somebody was following him and shot him three times. Twice in the neck and once in the head. How have you been? I mean, I'm being strong. I got family. I got CC. I got a lot of support. So just hanging in there and fighting. And I go to support group every Monday. I was there for a while, and then I kind of, like, fell back because, you know, depression does. It gets to you. So I kind of fell back, and then CC got me back in and got me going. And I've been close with her ever since. I love her to death. She's like, she's like another mom to me. Really? Yeah. So I do, I do love her. The moms are making crosses today in preparation for an upcoming Family Seeking Justice barbecue. The crosses are for new members whose loved ones were killed over the last few months. Once the paint dries, the group will nail the pieces together, affix the crosses with a photo of a Chicago murder victim, and give it to the grieving. Each cross is a tragedy. But it's also beautiful, this community Sassy has built, a ragtag group working together to build monuments to the dead they'll never meet. From WBEZ Chicago, I'm Patrick Smith, along with Ceci Mannion. This is Motive. A lot of it wanted me to go back and get revenge because you try to take my kid's life. I didn't want my daughter to be just another unsolved gun violence case. I don't want to keep hearing about death and watching people die. I don't want to keep seeing people at the hospital on their knees crying. They had their mind made up like... From the cradle to the grave, I guess. Episode 5, Collateral Damage. I want to talk about your support group, Family Seeking Justice. Tell me what it is. What, what, how did it start? So Family Seeking Justice, there was a mom, um, a young mom, 
who didn't know how to get through the week. She was suicidal to an extent. Um, And we started talking two, three, four in the morning. I would stay on the phone with her until she can get through it. And she was okay. A lot of my parents that I walk, I, I walk through with them when their child or their loved one, their husbands, their wives, when they're murdered, they need that grieving support. So we started, I started opening the office. It's a safe space for them to talk. And they're there to support each other because who knows what they've been through, but them themselves being there with each other. Yeah, one of the, the first time I ever went to group, um, you had detectives come in and talk to the families that were there. And yes. and they sort of, they updated them on cases. They answered their questions. They also were kind of like, people kind of put their frustration on those detectives because people are, some people are very frustrated with the way the, the, the case has gone of their loved one. Yeah, because they're not getting answers to their cases. They're not getting any support. Working with police and getting arrested, it's a big it's a big part of the group. Would you say that? Right, it is. Why is it important to the families to get that sort of legal justice? To know that somebody's accountable for what they did to their loved one. I think that's very important. And like I told I told one of the well, I told and group, I don't know if you were there. Um I told one of the moms, I said I said, if somebody got arrested in your son's case, how would it make you feel? She goes, mm. she shrugged her shoulders. She goes, it make me feel good, but it ain't going to bring my son back. And I said, well, then why do you want justice? So another family doesn't hurt the way I do. And I don't have to tell you this, but we don't actually get very much legal justice in Chicago. No. Very, very few shootings and murders are solved. Not at all. Not at all. Does that contribute to the violence we see in the city? I think so. Because they can get away with it. They can get away with it. The support group, like the Crosses, is actually something Ceci does on top of her daily job duties and her always-growing client list. This afternoon, she's visiting her client, Joey, who was shot 11 times outside of his home. Ceci's SUV is idling outside his house with the AC running. It's been two months since Joey's shooting, and while his physical recovery from the 11 bullets is progressing on schedule, Ceci is worried about the mental impact on his children. So today, she's brought along her co-workers, Isabel Alcocer and Alondra Salgado, to counsel two of Joey's sons. Ceci thinks they've been the most impacted by their dad's shooting. We kind of look to see, you know, how the child is currently um, dealing with the trauma, what symptoms he's presenting or any feelings that he's having, and then trying to help the youth identify positive and negative um, coping skills that they have developed or want to develop and... um, hopefully be able to um, cope with the trauma. The two counselors were both raised in Little Village. Neither of them have ever been involved in gangs, but the gang lines have such an impact on the neighborhood, they still describe where they grew up based on what territory they lived in. Isabel is from the east side of Little Village. Um, So I'm by the Latin Kings. 
Yeah, and I'm from the west side by the two six. Okay. And those, the lines, did they did they feel pretty hard for you? I know you're not involved in it. But did they feel pretty hard for you guys? Oh, definitely. You're like nodding your head really vigorously. Oh yeah. Oh yeah, definitely. And as youth, we could even get in trouble for crossing borders, even if we're not affiliated. Um, if I went, if they saw me, you know, going to something on the west side, and they saw me going home or walking back that way, they're gonna they're gonna ask me where I'm from, who I am, who do I know. So it's very intimidating. But you know, us growing up in the neighborhood, you get used to it, and you love the neighborhood as much as you have that trauma of those highs and lows when you go through shootings. You still have that magical place that little village is. Like as a kid, like. The color, the food on every corner, the snacks. You look around, everybody looks like your cousin. Everybody looks like your aunt and uncle, like your abuelitos. Like, there's that magical place to it, too, like that nostalgic. And then as you grow Ceci up, talks with Alondra and Isabel about the goals of the visit. They want to focus on how the boys are feeling, instead of talking too much about Joey's injuries. Just trying to make sure he's comfortable with what's going to happen um, over the courses of our sessions, what he's interested in talking about and making sure that the family service um, is receiving services that they require. After strategizing in the SUV, the three co-workers head into Joey's backyard. We are going to go in. I haven't seen him in about two weeks, but we have talked a lot on the phone, so this is going to be a lot of catching up. The plan is to get some privacy with the kids. The two counselors take 14-year-old Mateo and his younger brother into a corner of the yard to talk away from the rest of the family. Yeah? You want to sit over here? Yeah, let's sit over here. The counselors and the two boys talk for about a half hour. What happened? And make a plan to take the boys to a pool next week. They're ready for the pool Monday already, Monday. It's a chance for them to escort the kids to a fun activity away from the house, but safe from potential violence. As they're leaving, Ceci debriefs with Isabel and Alondra. That was a little overwhelming today. It's because the kids come back in there. Yeah. I the younger boy, the 10-year-old, witnessed his dad's shooting. He's looking at what to see what you guys are doing. Yeah. He's trying, he's like, I can tell he has his eye on dad. Yeah. He's just, he's like, someone else comes in, he's trying to see who's, who's coming in, you he's know? He's like on high alert. Yeah, yeah. he is. Yeah. But you can tell he's very distracted. His eyes are just everywhere. They're looking up, they're looking around, the, they're listening to the cars. The three of them are worried about the 14-year-old boy, Mateo, for different reasons. Sounds like the oldest boy is kind of coping by not trying to, based on what he's saying, by trying not to be in the house, essentially. Yeah, yeah. so Big Brother right now is sleeping until like 2 in the afternoon, um, just kind of withdrawn. Um, yeah, so there's a lot going on. The three women leave. They have to get to the home of a young father, shot not far from where Joey lives. But from here on out, Mateo will be a major focus for Ceci and her co-workers. The fact that he's withdrawing from family and staying out late has all of them concerned. There's the ongoing fear that he'll be a target of the same gang that shot his dad, and the new worry that he's being tempted to follow in his father's footsteps and join the gang that claims his home as part of its territory. A couple weeks later, Ceci comes to visit Joey's house again. How are you feeling? Alright. She checks on Joey, but she is here to talk to Mateo. 
Mateo is short and scrawny. He talks with a slight halt in his voice. Just a week from starting high school, Mateo's especially vulnerable. So, the school that he's going to is primarily all of a gang that shot his father. And his father and his uncles are very well known. And when I say very well known, I'm talking about 80s, 90s, 2000s well known. Um, They made a name for themselves, let me tell you. Um, So, it really scares me that he's going to choose that school because... Common sense, you're going to walk this way. A lot of people watch, what, let's see which way he's walking. Where do you live at? Ceci wants Mateo to pick a different high school. Or, barring that, at least come up with a plan to avoid being a victim and to stay out of trouble. Mm-hmm. So what are you doing to protect yourself? Are you choosing your friends wisely? Are you choosing your location where you are hanging at? Well, I mean, well, since I'm, like, outside late, I'd be watching my back, like, turning around, like, every, like, five minutes, like, see who's behind me and this and that. Do you have, do you have any friends who are in gangs? Uh, yeah, I got some friends who are in gangs, but they know me and they don't really mess with me. So, me and you are going to have a discussion. We're going to talk about behavior and sneaking out at night. I only did that once. Okay. Wow. That was it. Okay, but that's... Let's step out here and we can talk. Ceci pulls Mateo to the side, out of earshot of his dad and siblings. She alternates between tough talk and pleading compassion. Ceci wants to show Mateo that many people care about him, that people will care if he gets hurt or joins a gang. So, Grandma is very concerned... Of your behavior. Of you going out, and she knows I care a lot for you. When I got this case, you became family. Whatever happens here, if you get hurt, God forbid, I'm going to get that phone call. I don't want to know it's you laying there. You can be shot. You can be beat up. You can be, you can go missing. Grandma's limited in walking. Grandpa's up and down all over. So communicate. They're very understanding people. Your dad and your uncles have taken them through hell. Yes. We have a lot of stories about it, too. Yes. So let's not carry those stories. Let's break that cycle. Yeah, my uncle told me the same thing. Like, as my cousin told me, just be careful. If they try to peer pressure you. And if something is not fitting with you or something that you're not comfortable with, what do you do? Let's let's talk about that. What do you do? Call for help. Call what? Call for help. Okay, who do you go to for help? My uncles. No! Wrong answer! My God, I want to just bang my head What was your answer there? Mateo tells Ceci that if he does run into trouble with gangs at his new school, he'll call his uncles. That is not the answer Ceci is looking for. Calling his uncles is basically the same as Mateo calling in the rival gang. It also would mean Mateo would be choosing sides. What? What is going to happen if we call your uncles? Tell Patrick the truth. I know what's going to happen. Do you think it's going to be a nice thing? Nope. Absolutely not. There's yeah. going to be a shooting. There's going to be a beating. There's going to be something. If somebody's picking on him or there's something bad, make me want to smoke my whole pack of cigarettes right now. Sissy, or... You can call me, but your first thing going into high school as a new student in high school is to go to a staff. 
I'm concerned. And I, I try not to make it think like that, but I'm really concerned of your safety. So let's think about safety. You have a whole life to live. I don't want to get that phone call and I have to call Patrick. Patrick, guess what? I think I'll lose my mind. I'm going to be on pins and fucking needles. Honestly, I am. Can I show you something? And this is going to reality to hit you. Ceci takes Mateo around to the back of her SUV, opens the tailgate, and shows him the white crosses she and the moms made in her front yard. Do you know what those are? Boys? No. Do you know what these would represent? These go for special people that pass away. Everybody's special. But this goes for specific people. Can I share with you? Okay. So these people... These people that are on these crosses, the majority of them are youth. Young as you. That they haven't found the killers. Does it make either of you like angry? They're angry to think about that there are kids who do not have to make these sorts of safety plans to go to high school. It upsets me every day. Every day I see this. It upsets me that other people don't know how to leave the past in the past. And if you were my son, it would upset me to watch where you go because you're not involved in this life. This has nothing to do with you. And why you have to choose that is beyond me. Mateo takes all of this in stride seems totally calm in the face of these looming dangers and impossible choices. Maybe it's the adolescent tendency toward apathy, or maybe he doesn't find any of this surprising, has been primed to expect it. But I am seething on his behalf. I never had to face such choices or navigate dangers like this. Most kids in America never do. Mateo is potentially facing real physical danger, And there's a button he can push by calling in his uncles or joining a gang that might keep him safe for now and rain down righteous violence on his tormentors. But if he pushes it, it could mean he's marked for life. It could mean he gets gunned down at a young age. And then all those people who could never even imagine facing this kind of choice will dismiss him as just another gang member and his death as the predictable consequences of his own actions. It's a little before 5 p.m. Tonight, Ceci's support group, Families Seeking Justice, is hosting a barbecue. This is the event Ceci and the moms were making crosses for the other day. They're holding it at Enlace, the office Ceci works out of. It's free and not too far from where most of the people live. Ceci's over there making final preparations. I'm sitting in my dented Honda Fit outside of Joey's, waiting for him and the kids to come out. Ceci convinced Joey to venture across the neighborhood to come to the barbecue. She's hopeful Joey and his kids will find some support among the families who know gun violence just as intimately as they do. It's also another place that should be safe for the kids that isn't just in the house. A small step toward healing and normalcy. 
Joey agreed, but he didn't feel safe going on his own, so I offered him a ride. How's school been? Good. Yeah? All right, that's good. Hey, how's it going? Here, let me move this bag out of the way. During the ride over, Mateo plays videos on his phone while the younger kids mess with each other. What's that? Could it be in uh, <laughs> At the event? Yeah. Could it be inside too? Yeah. Ceci's going to be here? Yeah, Ceci's going to be there. The lady's going to be I there? I think Alondra and Isabella will be, mm-hmm. are going to be there too. Yeah. Yeah, I think everybody will be there. One of Joey's kids asked if Ceci and the two counselors, Isabel and Alondra, are going to be at the barbecue. I'm sweating. Can you put the air off? Yeah, let me, it doesn't, I don't have vents back there, but here, let's see how big oh! the big one. Joey is visibly nervous. The journey requires crossing several gang boundaries. Joey instructs me which streets to use and which to avoid. What makes you think this is serious, okay? Me? No, I mean, Sassy. Oh, what makes her think that? Yeah. I don't know. I, I think she just feels like she knows, she trusts and knows the people over there. Are you, do you feel a little nervous going in here right now? I'm like, yeah, this neighborhood is like, not my area, you know? Right. When was the last time you think you were over this part of the neighborhood? Never. Never? No. Yeah, we're here. It's around the corner there, but I'm going to park right here. Threats of rain have forced the barbecue indoors, so about 30 people are inside a conference room with a concrete floor, tall ceilings, and large windows along one wall. Music videos play on the TV. A table in front of the television holds platters of traditional American mayonnaise-based salads and some Mexican sides. The group is mostly women, talking to one another around tables while their children play and run around the room. Joey's kids immediately join in with the other kids, laughing and messily eating. The feeling is largely like a family reunion, although there are a few women with red eyes and puffy faces, their grief still fresh and unfamiliar. Whoever else talks, I'm going to kick them. So I'm the founder here at Family Seeking Justice. For everybody who is new, um, we have a lot of new faces here. Um, I'm going to let them introduce themselves. We're going to start with the liaison officer. A few young men stand outside around a charcoal grill, making hot dogs and burgers for the group. Joey wanders out there and stands by the entrance to the building alongside Isabel, one of the counselors working with his kids. While the meat's on the grill, a passing car slows to a crawl in front of the men. Where'd he go? Did he flag you guys? No, where did he go? They flagged you? No, I, I didn't they see they, didn't do they nothing. did to them. The car did to them. Yeah. And someone inside flags the guys cooking. Well, the other car is the one yeah. that started it. Yeah. Okay. And they, um, they went inside. They went Flagging means putting up a gang sign. It's both a demand and a threat. Respond with the same gang sign showing your allegiance or risk oh, yeah. violence. So they, they, like, yelled out the window at yeah. you guys? Yeah, yeah. Like, gang slogan and curse. The guys at the grill don't do anything. But they say one of the people in the car threatened them, saying they're lucky he doesn't shoot them right then. Suddenly, the whole mood outside has changed. Everyone is on high alert. Watch out. Still? Watch out. Yeah? Watch out, man. Ceci struggles to get everyone inside. 
Well, go inside. I'm trying to drink one so she's inside. Okay, but go inside. Isabel, the kids' counselor, says this means by now the gang in this area is aware of people hanging around from different parts of the neighborhood. No, they're passing by. They are passing by. I just saw another yeah. car. Yeah, they're, they, they got by. another truck now. They're, yeah, they're passing by. But, I mean, people know what this place is, right? Yeah, but they know who we service, too. Yeah, you seem nervous right now. I am because, I'm ed- because I live over there. They're going to see me coming in my crib. They're going to see me posted over here. It's a problem. It's not a problem, problem, because I got my badge. I'm a professional. Whatever y'all do out here, that's not my business. I live here, you know, but it's something I keep in the back of my head. Joey is shaken. This was supposed to be some respite for him and the kids, some normalcy and community. Instead, he's feeling like a target again. We leave shortly after. On the way home, Joey seems totally consumed by the conflict and the potential dangers he thinks could be lurking as we drive through unfamiliar territory. We have I'll mail. come around and help you get out. No, we don't. Yes, look, at That feeling of insecurity. It's why Mateo might be tempted to join up with the gang. It's why Joey is desperate to move away. And it's a feeling that drives people throughout Chicago to try and forge a sense of security with their own hands. That can have deadly consequences. After the break, we'll check in with Destiny, the young woman we met in episode three outside of the hospital, where she talked with detectives and ID'd her shooter. Her case is not going as expected. Sometimes you just need a quick overview of the news. Meantime, it was chaos today at the Chicago City Council. A Chicago cop with a controversial past is running for judge. Other times you're looking for a deeper understanding of what's going on in the city. Wow, that's so, no one has asked me that question. The Rundown Podcast has all of that and it's Chicago based. So you know what's up in your neighborhood and across town. Listen to The Rundown wherever you get your podcasts or at wbez.org rundown. It's been five months since Destiny was shot 14 times during a street fight. If you remember, another young woman was killed in that same shooting. Since then, Ceci has been trying to help Destiny come to terms with what happened and move on with her life. Tonight, Destiny is sitting at Ceci's kitchen table. Kids are in and out of the room, part of the constant commotion at Ceci's house. Across the table from Destiny are Balthazar and Sylvia Castro. They're the parents of Jessica Castro, the young woman killed in the shooting that put Destiny in a coma. Is that Jessica? Yeah. Together, they're watching a cell phone video with no sound that shows the moments right before that shooting, dissecting it. There's a beginning part of that video. And it shows that he's holding himself. He's holding his side. The shooting of Destiny and Jessica happened during a fight on the city's southwest side. Destiny says she had never met Jessica. She says her friends picked her up that day and told her they were going to go drive along the lake and smoke weed. I was supposed to be on Lakeshore Drive cruising, smoking. That's what I thought we were going to do. 
Instead, she says her friends drove her to a fight that she didn't know was happening. One of Jessica's friends recorded the video of what happened next. Jessica and Cecilia started fighting here. And he got in before the girls... Started fighting. He Before hit first. the girls started fighting. So there's when the girls come in. Look at that. The video doesn't show the shooting, but it's still really hard to watch. It shows Jessica and two of her friends beating on another woman. They kick her in the head. They stomp her head into the concrete. It's brutal. Destiny doesn't join in the fight. Instead, she stands a few feet away, holding her gun at her side, pointed at the ground. She stands between the woman being beaten and her boyfriend, stopping him from intervening. I had my gun for protection because it was summer and it's Chicago, and I wanted to be safe. And I never pointed my gun at him. I never pointed the gun at nobody. The gun never left my side. After a couple minutes, the beating stops, and the two women who brought Destiny to the fight back away. But Jessica and the other woman are still laying on the ground, each with a tight grip on the other's hair. Destiny steps into their tangle of arms, still holding the gun, still pointing it at the ground. But now that she's standing over the women, the gun is very close to their heads. So it's right here. You're trying to break it up sort of with your feet? Yeah. See right there, but see, never pointing at the gun. Then the video stops. Right then is when he starts shooting, like right after the video ends? Yeah. Destiny says the guy started shooting just a few seconds after the video cut out. Did you know he had a gun? No. I just had mine out. The man who Destiny says shot her and killed Jessica can be seen on the video. Destiny picked his photo out of a lineup the first time we met her at the hospital. Destiny and Ceci assumed he was going to be arrested shortly after. But yesterday, Balthazar Castro got an update from the county prosecutor. Well, I just got a call from the state attorney. And uh, the state said he he ain't going to get charged. Destiny got a similar phone call. Yeah, they basically told me that they're not going to charge him. I guess due to me having my firearm. Now, 24 hours later, here they are around Ceci's table, trying to make sense of it together. Jessica's mom, Sylvia, shares her anguish in Spanish. She says uh, she wants justice because it's not an animal they killed. It was a person. And she wants justice because for our, our family. And for another family not to go through what they're going through. Balthazar speaks with a slight quiver in his voice. I get the sense he is barely suppressing overwhelming grief or anger. Maybe both. We miss her and... We're just thinking she's going to come back, but we know that she ain't. Jessica's parents acknowledge the ugliness of what was on video, that their daughter was there to beat up this other young woman, a social media fight escalating into real violence. And they can't deny Destiny had a gun in her hand. But they're adamant that's not enough to justify the shooting. And Balthazar says a man who would escalate a fistfight into a double shooting, 
a man willing to kill one young woman and pump 14 shots into another. It's dangerous to let him get away without any consequences at all. When I told the state attorney, if that you guys let that guy go and he kills, he kills another person, that's going to be on you. And I told, I even told him, I hope with one of your guys' family. So, so Destiny, I know the prosecutors already told you this, all this. But what does it feel like to be here in the room and 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 to hear that they're blaming you almost for not bringing charges? It wasn't my fault. I had my gun, but I didn't. I'm telling you, I wasn't supposed to be there. And I never pointed my gun at him. I never pointed the gun at nobody. The gun never left my side. It was always at the side of my waist. And for them to sit there and try to blame it on me, it's fucked up. I can speak for for Destiny because Destiny didn't want to speak to the detectives at one point. She wanted to get speak to the detectives for part for Jessica to get justice for Jessica and you're right she wasn't an animal and I think by destiny taking that big step and speaking to the detectives even though we sat by her that day at the, in the office with the doctor after the doctor visit she still didn't want to and she did for Jessica still doesn't matter they're not going to make the arrest so it's like that's probably why people don't even want to cooperate. Why why the fuck do they want to sit there and be considered a snitch or considered working with the cops or whatever it is and then nothing even happens in the long run? You cooperated and sat there and talked about it over and over numerous amount of times for what? Just to keep reliving it over and over for the guy not to get caught. I asked the Cook County prosecutors about this decision not to file charges, any charges, against a man who Destiny and Jessica's parents believe killed one young woman and badly wounded another. They said they didn't have enough evidence to prove the case beyond a reasonable doubt. The situation is messy. This was a violent fight and Destiny was holding a gun. It's certainly possible the shooter feared for his own life or for the safety of the woman being beaten up. But... As Americans buy more guns, and as the right to carry a gun in public keeps getting stronger, the answer cannot be that any time a person has a gun, it is legally justified to shoot them. One young woman is dead, another is permanently scarred, and the shooter will not face justice. It's news that will be shared with everyone who knows Destiny or who knew Jessica. It's an outcome that just reinforces what many of them already thought. You are on your own. Sessi says if police and prosecutors are not willing to wade into these situations, it makes it even more likely the people in the middle of Chicago violence will come to the conclusion they should just take matters into their own hands. I think that's where maybe a lot of the violence does come in when they talk about retaliation. Because how does this family, how does she get justice? She has to live with this for the rest of her life. Traumatized. Not only traumatized, with her health issues now. Does it make you want to take justice into your own hands? I believe in karma. Destiny doesn't really say much about revenge. But when she talks about karma, I hear her saying that karmic justice would see the shooter get shot himself. But at least for now, Ceci has convinced her not to take matters into her own hands. 
That conversation is made more difficult when there's apparently no hope of getting justice through the courts. And Ceci says it will also make it much harder for Balthazar and Sylvia to heal and come to terms with their daughter's death. But now this family has to sit there and deal with this where they're not going to get no justice for their child? It frustrates the hell out of me. What am I working for with these families to keep keep their heads up? One day. One day. And with this video, I told Balthazar and I told Sylvia, it's on video. Don't worry. Don't worry. And here I am, proven wrong. Balthazar, Sylvia, Destiny, they now join the other people who gather around Ceci's kitchen table, who call or swing by at all hours, who build small memorial crosses out front. The unwilling members of the community, bound by tragedy and often left without justice. Next week on Motive, Fats and the team in Garfield Park struggle to get a hold of a gang conflict spiraling out of control. It ain't done. It's going to keep going on, back and forth, back and forth, Mm -hmm. over $8,000 change or some shit. We'll find out if Joey is able to help put away his neighbor's killer. They will kill me. I've seen people die like that. The witness for a murder, a witness, yeah, witness to a case. Yeah, man. And the violence that Ceci is trying to stop, it hits her family. My kids would give their shirts off their back, and they're not affiliated. I have a lot of anger in me right now. A lot of anger. That's next week on the final episode of this season of Motive. Motive is a production of WBEZ Chicago. I'm Patrick Smith. Marie Mendoza is our producer. Our editor is Rob Wildebor. Our executive producer is Kevin Dawson. Tracy Brown is our chief content officer. Our story consultant is Cecilia Mannion. Additional help from Natalie Moore, Kate Cahan, Shannon Heffernan, Adriana Cardona-McGigod, and Joe Dassault. Music from Jeff Els, Blue Dot Sessions, and Audio Network. Do you need a break from the news? Well, my friend, Nerdette Podcast is here for you. Our show is all about delight. We laugh about what's happening in pop culture and feature thoughtful interviews with fascinating people. We even have a monthly book club that you can participate in. I could just go on and on about it. I loved this book. It was an experience, I'll tell you that. (laughs) I discovered authors I had never heard of, and I'm really happy that I did. Come hang out with us. Listen to Nerdette wherever you get your podcasts.